Well, man, it is so great to see everybody this morning. How's everybody doing today? Great. It's so good to see you this morning. Can we just take a moment to celebrate who God is and what it is that he's done in our lives? The worship this morning was fantastic. Thank you guys for great music. I appreciate that. Thanks so much for doing that. My name is Chad, and I'm one of the pastors here at, at First Baptist Owasso in our Tulsa campus. And so I'm so thankful that we get to do this together, and I'm so honored that we would have the opportunity to open up God's Word together today. We're going to take a look at, a, at Genesis chapter 1 today. So if you want to open up in Genesis chapter 1, you're welcome to do that. We're going to be right at the very end of that. But before we read Genesis chapter 1, I think it'd be good for us to play a little game. Are you, you guys like games? Could we play a game this morning? Okay, here's how this game is going to roll. Okay, here's how this is going to work. I'm going to put a... Uh, I'm going to put a picture up on the screen, so don't put it up yet, but I'm going to put a picture up on the screen. I'm going to ask two questions, uh, and the first question is, what is it? Okay, that's the first question. What is it? All right, and so we're going to see how good we are as a group at playing a game like this. So let's put that first uh, picture up. What is it? It's a guitar. What'd you say? Somebody said something strange over here. I'm not sure. It's a guitar. Easy to tell what a guitar is. Okay, let me ask you the second question. What is it for? Is that a ukulele? Oh, it has four strings. Look at that. Look at that. Some of you are, are eagle-eyed. and get, so, um, so a ukulele is not for playing Inagata Davida. It's for playing Tiny Bubbles, right? That's, that's what a ukulele is for. Have you ever seen someone take a guitar or a ukulele and try to use it as a hammer? Yeah. I've seen people smash guitars before. It just doesn't work very well. Wouldn't worship this morning been awesome if Brandon would have been like, wow. <laughs> that would have been awesome. That would have been great. All right, okay, so here's our next picture. What is it? It's a tennis racket. What is it for? Now, I will confess, when we have our staff meetings, Chris Wall, our senior pastor, he loves to play tennis. And he keeps tennis rackets in his office because where else would you keep a tennis racket <laughs> but your office at the church? And we're having staff meetings, and he'll pick up the tennis racket, and he'll be, he uses it to think. And so he'll swing back, and I'm like, whoa, because always, he's always right next to where I am. I'm not going to hit with this tennis racket. And I will confess to you, or maybe I'll confess for Chris, I have seen Chris flip his tennis racket around and play it like a guitar. <laughs> is, that, is that what that's for? No, it's not really how that's ever going to work. It's, it's not really. Okay, so the next question is, uh, it, it, let's show the next picture. What, what is this? It's a football player. It's a football player. He's suited up and ready to play football, right? Would it be strange if he came to a tennis match dressed like that? <laughs> it would make tennis far more exciting. <laughs> I've always thought that baseball would be a lot faster game if they let the baseman tackle the runners. Wouldn't that be a good game? It'd be the batter could wear pads and carry the bat with him around the bases. I think that'd be a great game. That'd be awesome. Okay, how about this one? What's a, what, who is this or what is this? What? It's a chef. It's a chef. And she's making, well, it looks like something vegetables, so I don't care. <laughs> um, but... Wouldn't it be strange if she was dressed like that, changing the oil in your car? I mean, I'm sure she could, but that's not, the, that's not what a chef does, right? A chef makes beautiful things for you to put in your mouth, not oily things to put in your car. Well, maybe oily things to put in your mouth, but not oily things to put in your car. All right, so here's the last question. Who is this or what is this for? 
What's your purpose? Who is this or what is it for? What are you for? Or maybe the better question is who is for you? You see, today we begin a brand new series called Imago Dei. That's Latin for the image of God. And we're going to be discussing for the next several weeks what it means for humanity to be created, for humanity to be made in the image of God. Now, in this season, in the life of our city, it's going to be and has been virtually impossible for us to miss the fact that 100 years ago, something happened in our city that was very, very tragic. It was the race massacre that took place in 1921 in the Greenwood area of Tulsa. And that was a tragic event in the life of our city. And you've already heard today that, that uh, in the Owasso campus today, uh, we have a, 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 an exhibit that has pictures and the history along with some things that we could pray in regards to that race massacre and what it means for us to be part of the solution to the problems that our, that our, that our country faces, to the tensions that we face as people. That same exhibit is going to open here next Sunday morning. It's going to run in Owasso from today till June 6th. It's going to run here from next week till about June 19th, somewhere in there is when it's going to run. So we'll have a little bit longer time here to be able to take a look at that. I hope that when it arrives that you'll take some time, really unhurried time, just you or maybe you and your family to walk through it, to read the history as it happens, and then to pray through the things that we encourage you to pray through as you get to the end of it. It's really interesting to see what the reaction was like in 1921. We have some letters from pastors in the Tulsa area that you'll be able to read, and we also have letters from pastors in the Oklahoma City area that were written at that time that you'll be able to read. And it's interesting to see the difference in the way different pastors approached this this time in the life of our city. And uh, May 31st and June 1st is the 100th anniversary of that event. And so really the eyes of the nation, the eyes of the world are looking to Tulsa. And they're asking the question in regards to the way we treat people, specifically in light of racism, they're asking the question, has it gotten any better? And, and I have to say that, that the series that we're about to preach isn't about racism. It's really not about racism. It's really about the doctrine of humanity. Who are we in light of who God is? That's what we're going to really be taking a look at. But oftentimes we might use racism as an illustration or as an application. And here's the thing that I want you to be careful of as we talk about these topics. Whether you're talking about them in this room or whether you're talking about them out in the community, racism is one of those topics that is a hot-button topic for our culture. And it's the kind of thing where it's really easy to automatically take a knee-jerk, extreme reaction in one direction or another. In one direction, you could say on an extreme, in an extreme way, ah, oh, racism's not a problem anymore. I can't believe anybody would have a problem with that today. Look, we've had a black president. We have a black vice president. Captain America is black now. We've got all kinds of solutions to this racism problem. You could take an extreme view that says it's just not a problem. Why are we even talking about it? But you could also take the other extreme and, and have this extreme reaction of, oh, everybody's racist. Or if you are a particular color, you just have to be racist. You don't even know how racist you are. Everybody's racist. Can I encourage you to do something with me uh, for the, the length of this series, at least, at a minimum, for the length of this series? Here's what I, I would hope that you would do. I would hope that you would set aside the extreme responses, not to ask the question about racism, but to ask the question about who we are in Christ. 
Who were we created to be? How were we created? And what is the root of this racism problem anyway? See, because the heart and the root of racism is nothing more or less than sin. It's nothing more or less than the brokenness of humanity. We were created to be one way, and in our sin, that way was broken, and now we are another way. And the end result is we end up treating each other differently because of it. And it's not as simple as racism. It's really, really more simple than that. It's really sinfulness in our own hearts and our own lives that cause us to treat people poorly, that cause us to treat one another poorly. Uh, Romans chapter 15 verse 13 is a verse that I'd love for you to be able to look up. Romans chapter 15 verse 13. It says this, this actually is my prayer and the prayer of our church during this season and it's also a verse that I would like to invite you to memorize with me during these next four weeks. I hope it's something that you're praying for one another because you guys are going to leave a room like this and you're going to go out into our community and you're going to talk to people. And you're going to talk to people who are on both ends of that spectrum, the extreme this way, the extreme that way. And everybody, even, you know, we may not have all the facts, but every one of us have all the answers, right? You may have an opinion about all of it. You're going to talk with very opinionated people about all that's going to take place over the next four weeks, five weeks in the life of our city in regards to this topic. This is not just a verse that I want us to memorize. It's a prayer that I hope that we'll pray. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. That's Romans 15, 13. I hope you'll memorize that with me and I hope you'll pray that for me and for the church and for one another because we are the people. It's not culture. It's not systems. It's not science, even though I love science. It's not any of those things that have the solution for the problems we're going to be discussing as a city for the next several weeks. It is Jesus Christ who is the hope of the world. And it is his church that is his plan for sharing that hope with the world. So in this place, let's come into this place to be equipped and to be encouraged and really to be challenged in our faith. And then let's go out from this place to be those people who live this verse, to pray it, to understand it, to memorize it, and to live it. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. In believing what? That you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And that everyone you ever meet is a reflection of the image of God into this world. And so, believing those things so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. That's Romans chapter 15, verse 13. So I hope that you'll memorize that with me. Now, one of the things that we like to do in the context of worship is we like to stand out of honor for God's word. So would you stand with me and let's read Genesis chapter 1. Verses 26 through 28 are what we're going to read today. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. And as I read this, just recognize that imago Dei, Latin for image of God, you, humanity, we have all been made in the image of God. And see if you can't see that clearly inside what Scripture says here in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. Here's what it says. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over everything that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. 
And God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over everything, every living thing that moves on earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you so much. You can be seated. Isn't it beautiful that in the very beginning of creation, remember Genesis chapter 1 is the place where God says, Let there be light. And there was light. And by the end of chapter 1, he is creating humanity. He's creating you and I. He's creating me and you. And, And what he's doing is something remarkable. For everything else in his creation, he created it. He said, this is good. Man, I just made a platypus. <laughs> that was good. It's, it's weird looking, but it's good. I should make more weird looking things. Um, no, I'm not saying you're weird looking. That's not what I'm saying. But, I, oh, I made a rock. Look, look at this rock. Here's my pet rock. This is good. I made light. This is good. I made stars. I made rain. I made all these things. And then he gets to the end of all these things that he's making that he's saying good. And he's saying, I'm going to create now something else. And this something else is going to be a masterpiece. It's going to be a kind of self-portrait so that I can inscribe who I am as the creator into my creation. And when he decided to do that, to write his name into his creation, you know how he did it? He made you and he made me. Look at Genesis chapter 1 verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man, he didn't say this about anyone else or anything else he created us. Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and the heavens. And and over the livestock and over all the earth. So here's the first thing I hope we catch today. He made you just like he intended for you to be. And your identity, everything about who you are, your identity is a gift from God. Now I'm going to pause there for just a moment. And I'm just going to say it again. Your identity is a gift from God. I have friends who struggle with their gender. And it says right here in verses 27 and 28 that he created them male and female. Scientifically, spiritually, scripturally. God made you Exactly the way he intended you to be. Your identity is a gift from God. And while I'll tell you, there's nothing wrong with the struggle. Some people have experienced traumas. Some people have experienced circumstances that move them in one direction or another in regards to their gender, in regards to their identity and uh, their sexual identity. It it moves them in all of these directions. And, And I certainly understand and would want to honor your past, your past traumas and your past experiences and beyond the traumas, even those past choices that you make that might lead you to believe, well, maybe just God made me wrong. Maybe he just made him. No, he didn't. You're fearfully and wonderfully made and he made you exactly as he intended you to be in your identity. It's a gift of God. And when we try to redefine our identity, whether it's our gender or whether it's anything else about who we are, as we try to redefine our our identity, what we're really doing is we're really taking a look at God in the eye saying, God, I'm going to do it my way. Your way doesn't work. 
We're actually taking a look at God and taking a look in his eye and saying to him, God, I want you to understand, I know what you said about me. I know what you've told me. You've told me I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. You've told me that I'm loved. You actually sent your son to die for something that you created. You, you sent your son to die on the cross for me. But, but really, I still don't believe that the way you created me is the way you intended me to be. So in sort of this kind of ultimate act of rebellion, we rebel against the genetics that he designed us for, and we say, I'm going to do it my way, God, instead of your way. Please understand, your identity is a gift from God. He made you exactly as he, as he wants you to be, and the way you are made is glorious. The way, the way you're made is beautiful, and it's brilliant. And you know, you can apply that, not just to our gender, you can apply that to a lot of things. You can apply that to the, the race that, that you are. What color are you? You can apply that to when and where you're born, your heritage and your lineage. Some of us have the kind of heritage and the kind of lineage where we kind of, it causes us to bow up our chest and walk a little prideful, you know. I, look at me, I've got that for my dad and my mom, and we've got stuff, you know, we got all kinds of stuff, so we must be something. Well, you know, that's not really, that's kind of an inflated view of yourself, Right? But some of us, we look at our history and our heritage, we look at our mom and dad, we look at the money in our bank account, we look at the color of our skin, we look at whatever, and we automatically, instead of walking with our chest bowed out in this kind of arrogant pride, we, we feel, instead of superior to others, we feel inferior to everyone around us. Our head's always down, our life is always low, and things, there's always, I can always find somebody who has more than I do or smarter than I am or can do more than I can do and and if I look in the right direction that's if I'm looking in one direction I can always find someone who has more who knows more who can do more if I'm looking in one direction but if I'm looking in another direction I can always find someone that I've got more and I know more and I can do more and so it makes me wonder if instead of looking left and right instead of looking to the right to find everybody who has more and knows more and being envious or looking left and looking for you know at everybody who has less and I know more and I've got more opportunity and and feeling guilty in both directions because in this direction I have envy and in this direction I feel superior instead of looking to the left and to the right what if I would look at my life through the lens of who he is and what he says about me this mortal coil that we live in is far more than flesh and blood it is the spirit that God has placed in us and the image of God that he's put in us. And it is a beautiful, beautiful gift from God. And you know, it's natural to wonder who you are. It's natural to be curious about your background and your history and your heritage. It's natural to be proudful, or not proud, proudful, but pri uh, um, proud of. It's natural to be proud of the people that God's placed in your life who love you and care about you. My father, you've heard me say this before, but my father was adopted. And so the people I know as my uh, paternal grandparents were, the, were Oval and Winnie Balthrop. They, they were the man and woman who adopted my dad. Biologically, I have no relationship to Oval and Winnie Balthrop, but they will never be anything other than my grandparents because they're the only grandparents on my father's side I ever knew. And my dad, even though he, he viewed them as his one and only set of parents, as he got older, he got curious about what his actual heritage and lineage was. And so he began searching out his biological parents. That quest to find who you are 
in light of not just relationship, but in light of genetics and biology, that's natural. That's a great journey to go on, especially for an adopted person. And he found his biological parents. One had already passed away, and one was actually uh, elderly enough that they were, that they were in the, the worst parts of Alzheimer's. And so he found his mom and was able to talk to her. And that was, it was a beautiful reunion. But in his head and in his heart, his adoptive parents were still his parents. And, and I just think about your quest and my quest to answer that first question of that last picture that I showed. Who are you? Aren't we all on that journey to figure that out? What, what are you for and who's for you? Maybe that quest you have for your identity isn't about your gender. And maybe the quest you're, you're on for your identity, maybe it's, not, maybe it's not about your socioeconomic status. Maybe it's not about the color of your skin. Maybe the reason you're on this journey is because God has written eternity in your heart. He's written himself into your DNA. And the identity that you have is a gift from him. And that desire you have to pursue who you are, he's given you that desire because in pursuing who you are, when the pursuit is rightly directed instead of left and right, if it's headed towards your heavenly father, that pursuit draws you to know him. I hope that's, I hope that's how you pursue your identity. Proverbs chapter 8 tells me something beautiful about how God designed us. Proverbs chapter 8, verses 22 through 31, it'll be up on the screen. It says this, The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago I was set up. This is wisdom talking, and wisdom in this instance is a symbol for who Jesus was. So wisdom is the one who's the voice that's talking. Ages ago I was set up at the first, before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountain had been shaped, before the hills I was brought forth, before he had made the earth with its fields, or the first of the dust of the world, when he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters might not transgress his command, when, the, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman. Now watch this. And I was daily his delight. This is wisdom talking. Wisdom saying, I was the delight of my heavenly father. Rejoicing before him always. Rejoicing in his inhabited world. And watch that last line. And delighting in the children of men. Here in creation, God sets apart wisdom as someone special. And wisdom and God are creating all that there is to be known in creation. And, and God says, and my delight is in wisdom. And wisdom, who is a picture of who Jesus is, looks and says, and my delight is with you. With the children of men. Your identity is a gift from God. We're made in the image of God because we're inspired to know him. Ryan Peterson is another pastor who wrote a book. And he has this incredible quote that I just love this quote. He says, humans are the creatures that become like what they worship. And this was God's intention for humanity from the beginning. To become like God through knowing God. Think about that. If you want to see who you worship, take a look at your own personality. 
Take a look at your own choices, your own actions, your own words. Take a look at the nature of, of your attractions and the, th- the, the things that you're attracted to and the things that you're disgusted by. What do you ascribe worth and ascribe praise to? Humans are the creatures that become like what they worship and God's desire is for us to worship Him in spirit and in truth. Your identity is a gift from God. Look back at Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 again. It says in Genesis 1, 26, the next thing he say, says is he says, and let them have dominion. It's not just that your identity, it's not just that your identity gives you, is a gift from God, it's that your identity gives you purpose. Your identity, it just doesn't tell you who you are, it tells you what to do. Remember in our last series, in the Lesser Than series in Colossians, we kept saying when you know who you are, you'll know what to do. In this series, I think we might say when you know whose you are, you'll know what to do. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10, it'll be up on the screen, you can see it right there. It says this, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, you'll find familiar if you know the gospel at all. For it's by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. It's verse 10 that's so relevant for that idea that your identity is a gift from God, but your identity also gives you purpose. Purpose. Look at verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. God's given you this incredible purpose. In Genesis, the purpose was for us to have dominion over all the earth, for us to be the ones who are responsible for this world and for the living things and for one another that are in it. And today, God looks to you and says exactly the same kind of thing. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You have an identity that's a gift from me, and beyond that, that identity becomes a purpose that I have for you. And it's a purpose that's not simply about now. It affects now, but it's a, it's a purpose that affects eternity. You were given by God, uh, you, you were created by God, and you were placed in his family. You were given skills and talents and, and resources, and you were stationed in a community. And here's the reason why all those things are true. You were stationed in this community. In the community of Tulsa, in the church that is the Tulsa campus, the Calvary campus of First Baptist Owasa, you were placed in this space to be an instrument of God's grace to the people around you. Can you see that purpose in your own life? Do you sense that purpose? Do you feel that purpose in your life? That wherever you go, tomorrow, some of you are going to get up and go to work. Do you know why God has you going to work? It's not just to provide for your needs. Oh, although working will help God provide for your needs. It'll do that. He uses work to do that. But he has you in that job to be an instrument of grace to your boss and to your coworkers and to your clients. If you go to school tomorrow, which, thank goodness, summer's almost here and school is almost out. But if you go to school tomorrow with your teachers, with the other students, with the janitor, God placed you there to be an instrument of his grace. If you get to stay home tomorrow because tomorrow you have a day off, or you get to stay home tomorrow because you're retired, or you get to stay home tomorrow for whatever reason, guess what? Everybody in your family that you encounter... Everyone on the phone that you talk to, everyone on the internet that you interact with, God placed you there for a purpose, and in your identity, he's made you an instrument of his grace. Here's another great verse, James chapter 1, verses 17 and 18, it says this, it says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Remember, 
Your identity is a gift from God. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. No shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Now that last phrase to me is always intriguing to me. God brought you forth, he brought me forth as a kind of first fruits of his creatures. You know, there's only one other time in scripture, it uses the word, the phrase first fruits, but there's only one other way in scripture that the, the, the phrase first fruits is used. It's in conjunction with the idea of tithing. That we would give our first and our best for the glory of God. That, that's the only time we use the word first fruits. We see it used in scripture. It's, it's only used in the context of someone giving their first and their best for the glory of God. And right here, it's saying God brought you forth by the word of truth that you should be a kind of first fruits of his his desire in your identity, his desire in who you are, his desire for you is for you to recognize and for you to see and for you to become this glorious, glorious instrument of his grace because you are the first and the best he has to offer this community in this generation, in those circles that you run in, in those circles where you have dinner with someone that maybe you don't know that well, or circles where you have dinner with someone that you know well, but you're trying to introduce to Jesus. He's, he's made you the first and the best for this community, for this generation, for that purpose, for that person, for you to be an instrument of his grace and his glory in their life. You are the first fruits of his creation. Well, let's keep going. Look at Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 and 28. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So can I just challenge you for a minute? This is just a word of challenge. Would you please stop Warping the image of God. Stop. Every time, every time you bow up because you think you're less than. Every time you bow up because you think you're greater than. Every time you demand your way because you're just better than everybody else. Or you demand your way because I don't get my way if I don't demand my own way. Every time you deny who God's created you to be, we end up warping this beautiful image of God that he's built into you and that he's built into me. I wonder what would happen if all of us would just simply relax. Just take a breath. God, I've had this terrible experience. It was traumatic. It was awful. And it makes me think that I should be like that. But that doesn't match the image that you've created me to be. That doesn't, cre that doesn't match who you are, God. I don't know why I would pursue that because that doesn't look anything like you. It just doesn't, doesn't look anything like you. So instead of pursuing that, in spite of my trauma, in spite of my history and my background, in spite of my attractions or what I think or what I hear culture telling me, instead of pursuing that, or that, 
the left or the right. I'm going to pursue you. And instead of trying to become more of me, well, isn't it just a reflection of what we talked about in our last series? I'm going to try to become a little bit less of me and a whole lot more of you. That's what I'm going to try to do. You see, we need to stop warping the image of God because in His image, you're blessed. And everything outside His image in you is less than blessed. It's just less than blessed. As a matter of fact, I could, I could call it sinful. But it's absolutely less than blessed. And as you do that, and you interact with other people, here's the last thing I hope you'll catch today, is that everyone you'll ever meet is a reflection of the image of God. Everyone you'll ever meet. Black, brown, white, any other color you can imagine. Any socioeconomic status. Any history, heritage, lineage, or background. Any country they came from. Any persuasion they had growing up religiously. I have, my, I have, both of my, I have several kids who, who have friends who are devout Mormons. They have a very different upbringing than my kids. I have, I have, they have friends who are you know, passionate atheists. And, 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 and all, all of us, each one of them, Mormon, Christian, atheist, Roman, Catholic, whatever, we're all made in the image of God. And as a result of that, everyone you ever meet will be a reflection of the image of God. And can I just say this about racism specifically? First off, you're not going to hear me or Chris or anyone from this pulpit make the claim. Because it's a bit of an absurd claim. But it's a claim that, that everyone's racist. I'm not going to make that claim. Not everyone's racist. The root of racism is like the root of so many of our problems. The root of racism is sin in our own heart. Technically... I can't make the claim that we're all racist, but I can make the claim that we're all selfish, right? I can make that claim. And racism is really the most cosmetic version of selfishness, isn't it? It's using the cosmetics of the color of my skin to feel inferior to someone else or to feel superior to someone else. Isn't that really what it is? And in my selfishness, I don't want to feel inferior. And in my selfishness, I love to feel superior. And so I can't claim we're all racist, but racism is a form, well, it's the most cosmetic form of selfishness. And in that inferiority or in that superiority, I end up viewing people not as someone made as a reflection of the image of God. I end up viewing people as an object to use or as an obstacle to overcome. And that is not what God created any of us to be. You are not an object to use. I am not an obstacle to overcome. And if I could simply right-size my identity, how do I do that? Well, I right-size my identity not by seeing my identity through race or my identity through gender or my identity through money or my identity through nation or my identity. I, I simplify and focus my identity when I stop looking left and right. And I look to God the Father who is the one who made me. And who is the one who created the value of who I am. You understand that's how value works, right? Value is for anything. Anything you'll ever buy. And this applies to you and your identity as well. Value is created by four things. The first question is who made it? The, val the value of anything can be measured by who's, who's the creator? Of it, So you're going to pay a different price for a Ferrari than you do a Ford, right? 
because Ferrari made it, it's going to cost more. Who, the creator, that's going to measure the value of something. The creator was Ferrari, you're going to pay more, more for it. You know what else? The purpose of some, something determines the value of something. The purpose. Uh, I have a friend who makes little, uh, little plastic tubes for a living. He, he works for a company. They make little plastic tubes. And one day he showed me a little plastic tube. He handed it to me. He said, how much do you think that little plastic tube is worth? And I said, I don't know, like a penny? He goes, yeah, well, that one's worth about 15 cents. And, and it's used to make a pen. So like a writing pen. You use that little plastic tube and make a writing pen. It's about 15 cents. Then he put another tube in mine, a little plastic tube in my hand. Looked almost exactly the same as the one that was 15 cents. I, he said, how much is this one worth? I said, well, I'm going to guess about 15 cents because it looks about the same. And he says, oh, no, no, no. This one's worth about $5,000. Dude. <laughs> I'll keep that. Thank you. <laughs> um, why is it worth $5,000? Because that tube is used in a medical procedure that fails without it. That tube is absolutely necessary and completely critical for that medical procedure. And without it, it fails. And so the, the, the purpose of the plastic is different. So the value of the plastic is different. Ferrari costs more because of the creator. The medical tube costs more because of the purpose. You know what the... The player makes a difference. I have a friend in, in Owasso who had a guitar that he was just playing, and his daughter happened to play on the same soccer team as Garth Brooks. And, and they got to be friends, him and Garth Brooks. And my friend's guitar was just, it was just a regular, average, normal guitar, and he happened to have it in his truck one day at soccer practice, and Garth noticed. <laughs> he said, hey, let me play your guitar. <laughs> okay, he played the guitar. He goes, man, that's a really nice guitar. You know, and my friend was like, it's just a cheap guitar. Yeah, but I really like the way it feels. Can I take this on tour with me? And my friend was like, dude. Because <laughs> sometimes dude is the only appropriate answer. <laughs> dude. So Garth takes the guitar on tour with him. And when he comes back from the tour, he signs his name on it. Garth Brooks. Value of that guitar before the tour and the signature, very different than after the tour. Right? Value is created by those three things. You know what else value is created by? What's the price someone's willing to pay? What's the price someone's willing to pay? Great that he has a guitar signed by Garth Brooks, but if somebody can't pay the price for it, then what good is it? I've got a lot of comic books in my, in my attic that I feel like are worth a lot, but before they're worth anything, I've got to find somebody who's willing to pay a price for it. Do you know what God did for you? He looked at your life and he saw the selfishness and he saw the struggle you have with your identity or the, all of the racial challenges that you've faced personally and the trauma that you've experienced as a result of the color of your skin. And he saw the challenges that you face because of the amount of money you make or don't make. And he saw the challenges that just come with being you. He saw all of the sinfulness that breaks your world and specifically breaks you and your heart. He saw all of that. And he said, you know, in order to fix it, there's only one way that can be fixed. And the price is going to have to be paid. A price is... And you know what? He looked to his one and only son. And he said, son, you don't struggle with any of those things. You're not sinful. You're not broken. You're not... You're perfect in every way. But the price is so high for them that the only way that price can be paid is if you die 
yourself. If you lay down your life, if you shed your blood, if you'd be willing to do that for them, then all of their brokenness can be healed. All of their sin can be forgiven. And all of their relationships, including this broken relationship we have with our Heavenly Father, all of those broken relationships can be restored. You know what Jesus said? He said, I'm going to look at you. Jesus said, they're worth it. You're worth it. And so I don't know the nature of your struggle today. But I know this. Jesus says you're worth it. And you've been bought with a beautiful price. It's the price of his one and only son, Jesus, who loved him. He loved you and he gave himself for you. And he died on the cross and he rose from the dead simply to prove that he could do exactly what he said he would do. And so the question today is this. Will you trust him? Will you place your faith in Jesus Christ? Will you allow God to be the one who identifies, who, who defines your identity? Will you just relax into who he is and trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins? Some of you today need to place your faith in Christ. And in just a moment, I'm going to pray. And after I pray, we're going to have a moment where we stand together and sing. And while we sing, this is an opportunity for you to respond to God's word today. If you want to trust Christ, if you want to trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of sin, one of us, Jonathan or Misael, we're going to be available. We're right down front. You could come and talk to us. We'd be glad to visit with you about it. If you're struggling with your identity, no matter what that means, if you wanted to talk with one of us, we'd be glad to talk with you about that. And then here's this thing that I know for sure. For all of us who are already believers, who have already placed our faith in Christ, I've been a believer now for a really long time. Since I was nine years old, I've been a believer. Yet there are still days that I struggle with who I am. And there are still moments when I feel inferior to other people. And there are still moments when I wonder if I'm good enough or smart enough or if I've earned enough or if I've done enough. And there are still moments when on these days when I'm feeling pretty good about myself, when I look down my nose at other people and I'm just so broken at times that even after having been a believer for so long, I still need to say, God, would you please, please, please show me the blind spots in my life? Would you show me those spots in my life that just don't match up to your image? Stop letting me look left and right. Let me look to you and you alone to define my identity and who I am. And some of you today who have been believers for a really long time, you need to pray a prayer like that. God, would you show me my blind spots? Would you forgive me? Would you help me to treat everyone I meet as a reflection of the image Let's pray together. Father, I'm so thankful to you for all that you've done in my life and all that you've done in our church and our community. Remarkable strides have been made in regards to the way we treat people in this nation, yet there's still work to be done. And that work, I believe, doesn't begin in systems, and I don't believe it begins at the national legal level. I believe it begins right here in my own heart and in this space with my friends and with my family.
So Father, would you reveal the blind spots in my own life? Would you help me to confess them? Would you help me to get over them? Would you help me to look to you to be the one who defines my identity? And God, would you and you alone be the one who uh, defines the identity of this church and the people who are in it? And then today, Father, for the people in this room who are struggling with their identity, whether it's a gender identity or anything else, would you simply remind them of your love? Would you remind them that they're fearfully and wonderfully made? Would you let them know the incredible, awesome, powerful, incredible price that you paid for them on the cross at Calvary? Would you enable us to give ourselves fully to you today? And would you allow them to place their faith in Jesus Christ? Father, we love you today. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.